0: You're listening to episode number 193, a.k.a. season 2, episode 2 of the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm Sean Devine, joined by Kyle Daigle. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Sean. Okay, we've got a, a little bit of follow-up off of last week's show. Um, I heard from, I'm going to say I heard from 10 people specifically about like uh, the new format versus the old format universally thumbs up 10 That's awesome. 10 out of 10 yeah and, and everyone was thumbs up for the same reason which is they they prefer you to me and uh, <laughs> uh, awesome yeah which is a little awkward to hear that from 10 people to be honest but yeah yeah no well, i did this didn't, is the
1: episode where the plot twist happens and i take over <laughs>
0: right exactly i've been i've been my, usurped uh no people like going deeper into topics uh, as do I. That was the feedback. So let's do it. Definitely. All right. So I've got, I've got the list that we had uh, chit-chatted about. Now, I, I, speaking of plot twists, you are by far the more organized of the two of us. Not that I'm like a disaster, but you <laughs> you are very ticked and tied. <laughs> Yet I, I, I did the lion's share of the organizing of the topics for this week, which has me questioning what's going on.
1: Yeah, I'm preparing. Uh, GitHub has a annual, uh, once a year all hands, and uh, this year it's in San Diego, and so the week before that. Uh, so this is this, I leave tomorrow on Monday, and uh, the week before that is inevitably just a bunch of tying things up, and so I was pretty busy, and I had to travel to uh, New York for an a, uh, AWS summit. Uh, which is pretty cool too. But yeah, so I'm definitely uh, a little behind on the topic, but but I'm excited because of the ones that we do have are are worth digging into, I think.
0: Well, let's take advantage of GitHub topics then for a minute. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So estimate for me, how many hours of preparation you had to do specifically for the, the all hands
1: meeting. And so for me, I mean, most of what I'm doing is just tying up all of my work. Um, So we had a freeze, I believe, starting on Monday, which is very rare for GitHub, but it happens during Summit, basically to make sure that we don't um, impact Operations support uh, anyone that would have to work during summit. You know, so the majority of people don't have to work, and so most of what we're doing at this point is just you know preparing to take advantage of all of our time in person and making sure that there's nothing sort of outstanding that could impact another colleague's uh, ability to enjoy. And I guess you know that's
0: a a great process. Anyhow, yeah, like just a good like it reminded me. I added another member to a project that I'm working on recently. And the process of going from one person, because it was just me on that project, to two people was amazing. Because all these things that I hadn't documented uh, or tightened up or were a little bit manual, I just made a list of them and then, like, you know, checked them off over the course of maybe three days prior to the person starting, kind of like the summit checklist you go through. And man, did it, like, I should have done it just for my own sake, but boy, did it add a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, even if you did, though, you know, just having another person. Do that checklist is a, is a huge uh, leap, you know. I mean, we try to document stuff that no one uh, might ever use except the person who wrote it, but it doesn't matter. The first time that person reads that documentation, you know, it's still still a cognitive leap. Usually,
0: oh yeah, yeah, and little things like I I remember uh, on that that little that exercise that I did to prepare for the second person, I wrote a like I, I expanded the README on the project to include all of the like domain specific stuff that like someone just wouldn't know. Right. You know, which ended up, I think being as important as any of the technical stuff, which I think is common. I don't think that's unique to that project. I think that kind of telling the story that surrounds the project is a, is very helpful for people that are coming in blind.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I I would guess probably that like 60 or 70% of documentation that lives with GitHub is primarily around the, like the why, you know, right. uh, and maybe a little bit of history. Um, that doesn't mean to say that that stuff isn't just, you know, still up for debate, but I find that most of it is just basically explaining, okay, here is what, uh, or here's why we made these decisions and a little bit less about, you know, and you should make those same decisions or like, here's the exact code you need to run to do X, Y, and Z.
0: I think that there's a lot of git centric stuff too, because, I Meanwhile, I, I would imagine that at GitHub, many people are quite skilled with Git. I mean, there's going to be differences in people's
1: yeah, and capabilities. all of our employees use Git and GitHub, right? And so there's a lot of people who aren't engineers, and they still need to learn how to use Git and GitHub to effectively do their job. So uh, it's definitely quite the quite the array of things that you might need to know.
0: So tell me about this all hands. Like, is it, what what happens?
1: Sure. So I mean, um, Every year from the beginning, they've had summits, and they used to have two summits a year, one in the summer one in the winter, but then as we grew, that sort of became untenable. Uh, this is the one time a year that essentially the entire company is in one place. Um, we do mini summits where your team might be together in one place multiple times a year, but this is basically focusing on... Um, big-picture stuff, you know, like, where are we going to go this year? What sort of things are we working on? Um, A fair amount of socialization because, you know, GitHub's still 65% remote, and so you might only see a teammate, you know, three times a year. Um, So there's still a lot of time to sort of just hang out, you know, get to know each other, do some activity, um, some sort of, like, casual team-building type stuff through that. Uh, But it's definitely primarily, you know, Super big picture and then super micro, you know, where is the entire company going? And then, like, how well do you know your teammates? How well are you working together? Um, Is there anything that's been bugging your team? And so uh, we all show up on Monday and we all leave on Thursday. Um, So it's a pretty tight window, too. Good time? Oh, yeah, it's awesome. I would think so. Oh, yeah. I mean, the cool thing that, like, what I really like is they started doing this a while ago um, is instead of doing all our meals together... um, they do these like diner rounds, they call them, where they run a script and they pass in all the employees, and the script randomly generates uh, dining partners, basically. So like they'll send like, you know, between eight and thirty people, depending on what kind of event we're at, you know, um, together. And I may never have met these people in real life. I may never have met them digitally either. Um, and they, or you know, or they might be my teammate. It's rare that they'll be my teammate because there's some pretty cool, <laughs> or I guess. Cool uh, result, uh, crappy uh, <laughs> implementation, uh, Ruby code that you know that does all this, but it's a it's a neat little thing that I think Scott Chacon um, uh, spun up, and that's probably how I've met the largest swath of GitHubers. Is just because you know I think it's human nature that you want to go with like minded people um, and uh, eschew risk unless you're super extroverted. But I think there's a lot of people at GitHub that would consider themselves at least partially introverted and may not be willing to you know for 72 hours just go all out and so uh you know it's a it's a great way to sort of meet people that um, i don't normally have a reason to work with
0: it's a great idea and it's a, it's a nice part of the culture right because i don't know how it started but yep. now it's a thing right that it's sort of part of what makes github github that's cool totally
1: no it's really great
0: uh you consider yourself an extrovert
1: you know, I did for a while <laughs> until I met uh, my coworker at GitHub, uh, John Hoyt, um, who is awesome. And I am definitely introverted. <laughs> um, I mean, I feel like it's a common misconception that people who, uh, in, like, I feel like I can talk to people pretty well, um, but it's a matter of if talking to people um, like charges you up or drains your battery. And so, generally speaking, you know, very simple, simple, simplified version. I mean, talking to people is great, but, like, by the time dinner comes around, I'm probably ready to go hide in a hotel room and just get room service. And so, I would definitely put myself closer to being introverted than extroverted. Even though I enjoy doing, you know, talks and... I don't know, hanging out with my coworkers and meeting new people or whatever. Um, it's just that in large quantities, I'll I'll go crazy.
0: <laughs> I feel like uh, I feel like sometime in the last four years something changed culturally, where it used to be everyone's bias would be to say that they're an extrovert,
1: yeah,
0: and like saying otherwise was I don't know less cool. I that's probably not the word to say, but less cool. And then sometime in the last four years, yeah. I bet nine out of ten more, more than nine out of ten people would say that they're an introvert. Almost like there's a, like you have to be the world's biggest extrovert to admit you're an extrovert. <laughs> I wonder what's up with that. Like there's something to it.
1: Yeah, no, I agree completely. I mean, I think that it's just like I don't know. I feel like it's it's something to do with just nerd culture. I'm gonna guess. You know, what I mean, it's uh, it's just really easy now for it to be acceptable like a lot of things that were uncouth you know uh, now becoming totally socially acceptable. I just I don't think me explicitly saying I'm an introvert is would stop me from say, becoming a manager or running a division or, you know, being the top engineer at GitHub or something like that, you know, whereas before maybe saying I'm an introvert keeps you in engineering or something, or you're that engineer that nobody wants to work with or whatever.
0: Yeah, I think that um, may be it. It's on a continuum too. It. I mean, like totally. you're clearly way more introverted than a lot of people I know, but yeah. not the most. Yeah. What am I talking about? You're more extroverted than a lot of people <laughs> I know, but not right, right. the most extroverted person I know. So, you know, sure. well, it sounds like a good time.
1: Yeah, no, it's great, and so it'll be exciting to see um, once uh, you know I'm back next week. Just sort of what uh, what's uh, what the whole company is going to be doing. You know, uh, now that we can all get together and talk about it in person, even though we're mainly remote. I mean, I don't think anyone would argue that you know getting together in person is a great way to move things along a lot faster.
0: Well, it's great. It's great for the two things you mentioned. I think that GitHub's got the right strategy. It's great for relationship building, at least in my experience, mm-hmm. and it's great for leadership messaging around strategy and direction. Like, yeah. like what is it that we are trying to do, and uh, you know, how does every piece connect, at least at at some medium to high level? Yep, um, totally. It's lousy for actually pushing the ball forward on any of those fronts, but. But good to kind of create the understanding and the relationships that are required mm-hmm. to actually make it happen. Yep. Well, cool. All right. Well, my my f- number one topic for the week was also GitHub related. <laughs> uh, if you are willing to talk about it, which was the outage that you tweeted about
1: yeah <laughs>
0: about single most because that's interesting right it re- it relates to every single person that listens to this work life, and y- you know you were dead center in the middle of it, so that's interesting
1: yeah so um
0: so what happened let's let's get the background first
1: yeah, so I mean uh so basically what happened was um there was a uh dNS problem um, uh, one of our dNS services wasn't responding correctly, and so what ended up happening was, um, as I've mentioned, I work on platform and webhooks, so my primary concern is that um, github.com was doing pretty okay during the whole thing, but the, the depending on your DNS and what was cached and what you had, you might have had a problem connecting to github.com but basically it's a really un- un- interesting problem <laughs> except to say that like dns uh when it doesn't work i mean you know you're kind of screwed and so <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> for me the main problem was that webhooks um send outbound payloads to third-party services like say your chat provider or your CI tool. And so when we can't use DNS, it's extremely obvious. Um, And so when that all went down, um, we had a sort of interesting um, queuing problem. Uh, where we hold all the webhooks so that way they don't go out to try to be delivered while we're fixing whatever is causing the deliverability issue, in this case basically waiting for DNS to come back. Um, and so during that process, we're queuing up a ton of webhooks. Uh, and so...
0: Like like how many per second, minute,
1: whatever? Like What, um, what's, what scale are we talking? Uh, I think we're talking in hundreds of thousands by the time that we were... Uh, Trying to re-deliver them, which was maybe like fifteen minutes, twenty minutes. So, it's like a I bit mean, of an
0: "I Love Lucy" uh, conveyor belt problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stacking them on your hats, shoving them in your bra.
1: Yeah, it's not a. It's not, it's not a huge number, like in. <laughs> the number of zeros in which it has is, but it's, it's a, it's a huge number in terms of, uh, capacity planning for oh, yeah. uh, the webhook service, you know? And so as we were, as we were on pausing this queue and sending more, uh, and we still just use rescue, but we have a little bit of a custom, um, hookup. So that way I can pause workers from pulling from queues, or so it's similar to how sidekick does it with like a, a redis blocking pop. Right. And so I, uh, I, I you know resume the queue and we start shammering uh, our webhook service, which we call Hookshot, um, which is a simple Ruby service that just takes the uh, information from GitHub.com and prepares to send it along to the third party um, using its own worker set. And so, Hookshot's a great name, by the way. Great. Yeah, yeah I, I I thank Rick Olson, uh, TechnoWeenie, for who originally built the tool uh, for. Picking the best names at GitHub. <laughs> it
0: really is a great name. That's just like, I, I, I can't imagine what would be better than that. Cause I'm a big basketball fan. So, it's,
1: you know, see, so, uh, so that goes out. Uh, and so basically, uh, we found a operational problem, uh, you know, wherein if we open the floodgates on one end, we shouldn't, you know, cause an outage in another system, which isn't exactly what happened, but hookshot wasn't handling the load, uh, sufficiently. And so, um, So unfortunately for us, what was a very tiny outage for GitHub.com was, um, I believe, like forty-five minutes to an hour for webhooks, depending. Um, Mm. And so there's, yeah, uh,
0: that's not that good.
1: No, it's not great.
0: (laughs) And like, I mean, not this is a bit of a salt in the wound comment, but sorry.
1: I mean, they're kind
0: of dependent on too. Like, I it
1: like. Well, the the irony was that during this. during this problem, I needed to deploy something to hookshot in order to sort of alleviate one of the load points. And um, at GitHub, I can't deploy unless CI has sent a green status to GitHub.
0: Oh, you're getting <laughs> so, trolled by your own. Yeah, I mean, and
1: you could override that. Like, it's not, like, totally impossible, but the point was that, you know... Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that we feel. And, I mean, we don't feel all of the pain of every customer we have, but with things like Webhooks and API, we generally are pretty heavy consumers for our internal tools. So... Um, yeah, it wasn't great, and so um, we at GitHub we have a great availability team who focuses on when there's an outage, what are the steps to make sure that this doesn't happen again, or just to learn from you know what happened because it, it, everything could have went perfectly, um, or you know as perfect as it can go. Uh, there's always room for improvement, but. Um, that team sort of helps you go through what happened. And so there's a bunch of things that we can do better, uh, next time, but it's, it was a sort of an interesting case of, um, uh, the worst case scenario and a couple of, um, a couple of, uh, trying to parse my words, <laughs> uh, just like a couple of deficiencies in how we pass this information along between github.com and the hookshot service. Um, but
0: now when you look back on this one, do you think, well, you know, there's going to be N hours a year of stuff that happens and this is in the end and you know, we're going to learn from it and next year there'll be a different end, but not this one. Or, uh, do you think, oh man, we could have prevented that one.
1: Um, you know, I think the, I think the honest truth is just that you're always balancing your worst fears against what is practical and worthwhile to implement in advance. Right. You know, I mean like microservices get this huge, like, yeah, if everything's microservices then you know, none of the systems are ever going to go down entirely because it's just that one's going to go down. Well, yeah, well that one still went down, you know, (laughs) and like. GitHub doesn't have a huge microservice culture, but that one is a microservice. And so, I mean, I think that, yes, there were some things that we could have done to uh, stop it before it happened. Um, Up till that point um, are the way we've, were pausing queues and resuming them was sufficient. Um, actually, at last year's summit, we had an unfortunate, very similar problem. Um, it was an internal networking problem that stopped Hookshot from being able to talk to the internet. Um, and the pausing and resuming of the queue, uh, you know, didn't leave any problems uh, in the process. But you know, as code as code ages um, and the exterior systems change, sometimes you know what worked in the past wasn't good enough, and so. I think at github too there's a big um push for engineers to own infrastructure that they're involved with you know i Mm -hmm. mean at some point in the past it was definitely very much oh i worked on this thing as a web engineer and i just sort of push it over here and then you you people figure this out you know you make sure it doesn't go down um which i think rails sort of had that culture for a very long time um but you know nowadays that's definitely not true um
0: I it's, think it's a maturity of the project thing. I mean, I think well,
1: that's that's true. That's very true. Um,
0: because, well, I, I I read the tweet or something the other day. I am going to paraphrase it. Some said something like, "You know, if you want to learn how to to build things, um, go to a startup. If you want to learn how to scale things, go to some, go to a established company." Yeah, and I think that that's I think that's accurate. You know, so the the, the engineering problems become scaling problems as you get more mature.
1: Yeah, totally. And you're still building those startup-y features, you know? But now when they go out, they can't, you know, it's, it's not as laissez-faire as it once was, where it's just like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll shove this out, and hopefully it's okay. It's more, you know, okay, we're going to shove this out, and like 10 million people are going to use it. <laughs>
0: well, in the CI example you gave, I think, was dead on, whereas earlier in GitHub's life, um, it, it wasn't so tied into so many other workflows, yeah. Like whereas now it's dead center in a huge. I mean I don't know what percentage, but a huge percentage of the deployment workflows of software companies are tied into GitHub, especially yep. of web software companies.
1: And definitely, and so I mean,
0: which yeah. is like good news, right? I mean that's good for GitHub, but oh sp- no,
1: it's yeah, it's great for GitHub. I mean I think the 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 goal or the the, the idea is just let's just make GitHub. Do the things that developers need it to do, so they can do their work better, faster, you know, and, and everything else. And so, luckily, we're sort of in the middle of that, and we can make it better and faster. But at the same time, um, we're still a we're still a service, and the silliest things can uh, have a bigger impact than the largest most obvious uh you know problems yeah
0: systems like like your the human body or github are are fragile
1: yeah exactly
0: little things jack them up
1: (laughs) and yeah huge shout out to the people who do this every day too i mean if you work in operations or infrastructure or it or networking or any of that i mean you know, it's a whole different ballgame with software where you can basically just, oops, I screwed this up and I'm just going to deploy back to master or, you know, this known quantity. Um, infrastructure doesn't always work that way. No. Because <laughs> uh, you have to rely on a ton of different services, some of them external, um, and there's like a million places where it can break in unexpected and interesting and slow ways in comparison to code, you know, which it can break in a million ways as well. But, um Generally speaking, in slightly more known quantities, there's le- there's less uh, there's less places where uh, normally things are gonna you know go pear shaped. But
0: yeah, and you mentioned something interesting about a microservices architecture that I don't think people talk about a lot, which is if you're you know a monorails type type setup, then if one thing goes down, everything goes down, in which case, like everything's down. So nothing's stacking up because nothing's coming in, which is bad. I mean, I think that's like bad, but a positive outcome of that very bad reality is that nothing stacks up.
1: Right. Whereas if you have
0: microservices that go down and I mean, I've had similar setups, the one you described that where you, you know, you have queues that, that are, you know, microservices that are working off of queues that something else set up. If nothing else goes down, then then you have a problem of what do you do when the queue gets big, which yeah. is sort of a new class of problem. That's uh, yep. interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely.
0: And then you're going to like DDoS the, or not DDo but DOS your, yeah. your customers, which is like a concern. I, maybe yeah. you guys wouldn't send out that kind of traffic, but. Uh,
1: it's not great if you're uh, tightly integrated. If you're, if you're code
0: ship, you're getting a few. You're getting yeah, a few.
1: If, if you're code ship, you're getting a few payloads. Uh, <laughs> and so yeah, I mean, there's a ton of ways to make that better, uh, and definitely things that we're going to work on to do. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting. Uh, I mean, sort of, but in a way, the technical thing isn't what is super interesting about this, at least to me. Like it is a little bit, but um, it's really the social thing. You know, I mean there's like three or four different ways that I can hear about what's going on you know with github mm-hmm. uh, you know I subscribe to Twitter's uh, githubs or to github status' Twitter account and so every time github's uh, status um, sends out an update I get a text message from Twitter which is like the most low fidelity way to find out that something's going on and so uh, I mean it, it, whenever that happens you're always like oh geez like is this related to anything that I've done? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right. I don't, I feel like that's not unique. I feel like that's totally a thing that a lot of people uh, think if they work on a, any sort of sized app, um, that has, you know, more than just you working on it. Uh, but you know, then we go down the whole page or route and everything else is, you know, a whole bunch of different ways for, yes, it is your fault. <laughs> Here, you know, <laughs> please come fix this. Right. Uh, but,
0: well, thanks for, Thanks for diving in to uh, the details. It's I think it's probably interesting for anyone that listens to hear about.
1: Yeah, no problem. And uh, if you were directly impacted, uh, my sincerest apologies. Please only use IP addresses from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: All right, let's uh, let's take a break and do our first sponsor. So I was going to do them in the opposite order, but I just flipped it around given uh, given the topic. Let's talk about DigitalOcean, even though we're talking about operations. So DigitalOcean provides simple and fast cloud hosting built for developers. You can create a cloud server in 55 seconds for as little as five bucks a month. Again, it's built for developers and used by over 400,000 of them, including me for a couple things. I, I don't use it for my primary project, uh, or projects that I'm working on right now because my DevOps skills are, uh, Modest, I'd say (laughs) they're not that great. Uh, But because of uh, actually because of DigitalOcean's pretty good content and uh, uh, maybe some time, I've uh, gotten more comfortable with using uh, DigitalOcean to host my projects. So it's highly scalable to meet the demands of a rapidly growing application or business. You can even resize your existing droplets uh, to uh, to meet the. Needs of your application as it grows. You can choose your OS from all the different Linux uh, distros. One-click install for apps like Django, Docker, Drupal, Lamp, GitLab. <laughs> Boop You should boo. You should boo when I say GitLab, <laughs> MediaWiki, and uh, Node.js, etc. Uh, all oh, Ruby on Rails. I should have said that, etc. <laughs> Yeah, right. All servers are built on hex core machines with dedicated ECC RAM and RAID SSD storage. Servers can have up to 20 CPUs, 64 gigs of RAM, and 640 gigabytes of SSD hard drive space. Um, they have full featured DNS management <laughs> to uh, easily manage your domains. Easy backups and snapshots uh, to allow you to easily deploy. They have an active community offering the largest and most detailed set of tutorials. This is actually what I was referring to a minute ago. Uh, super great tutorials on system administration. I think enough content to get you from not super uh, familiar with a topic to quite familiar just on uh, DigitalOcean's site. Community is perfect if you're getting started or looking for support on deploying Docker. So head on over to the the website, digitalocean.com. Use the code RUBYPODCAST and you'll get 10 bucks credit towards your new account. So thanks so much to DigitalOcean for supporting the show. Okay. All right, your pick of topic next, sir.
1: Yeah, so I actually want to talk about something uh, any engineer has to deal with because I found it super interesting when I saw you uh, tweet this. I'm trying to pull it up. Here it is. Yeah, listening yes. to Drake
0: while I'm cooking with my wife.
1: Yes, yes, actually, mildly <laughs> related to what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so you tweeted earlier this week that you said you work best in silence, which like boggles my mind a little bit. And so I'm curious. I'm curious if that. If in your experience, that's a normal thing. Because I definitely don't always listen to music. I'm not the kind of person that always has his headphones on and is always, you know, listening to some album or something, you know. But I always have to have noise. Like, some noise. Uh, and that, that could be music. That could be music without lyrics. That could be, like, a washing machine. Uh, nature, whatever, like silence or like pretty darn close silence is not something that I can take in. I think it actually actively impacts my ability to like work on something. (laughs) So like, I, I
0: I would like to think that that's true, but I don't think it's true for me. So I think part of the reason I tweeted it was, was that, um, I often listen to music when I work, Uh but when I work in silence for whatever reason, either cause I'm working on something difficult or I go to, um, you know, maybe I left my headphones at home or I go to the library. Like there are all sorts of reasons why I may work in total silence. I find that I'm more productive, like in spite of my wishes, which my, so, my wishes are that the opposite would be true. My wishes, my wishes that I would be much better in noise, but I just don't think it's accurate. And so
1: now I wonder if the word silence was just a poorly chosen word (laughs) because I feel like a lot of the places that you're talking about would have like, you know, ambient noise. That's like important. I feel like, I feel like there's a huge importance to ambient noise.
0: Oh, I meant silent. I mean, the library is pretty darn silent.
1: Yeah. I -hmm. think so. Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, it's not silent, silent. It's not like a noise proof room or anything. Yeah, Yeah. And I would not consider birds to be noise like birds would be silence to me and I love them. So, so birds would, would, would be a positive, but like, any, you live in a
1: national park, <laughs> sort of accurate.
0: <laughs> it has been quite the week for, we should have a, a uh, nature at Sean's house segment of each show. Yeah,
1: bonus, bonus podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Cause it's pretty good every week. But yeah, I think I, uh, I off, I, I, I kind of feel guilty now when I listen to anything while I work like cuz because I know that I'm more productive without it and I don't necessarily enjoy the day more without it right cuz if I'm going to click in and work for like 9 10 hours straight in basically si- silence that's it's a little hardcore right like yeah. that's that that's uh, tough um in some days I don't feel up to it like I don't yeah. feel like I have the energy, the stamina to do that to go like 10 hours uninterrupted working in silence on something but um it's not because I work better without. In other words, like sometimes you need a break, and and the the noise or the music or the podcast can be my break. But aside from recharging, I don't think it. I think it contributes negatively to my productivity. But I mean, recharging is an important thing. So I mean, I think yeah. I'm not discounting that as like a valuable feature of noise. Although you know, even saying that, I found that if I run. I I run better in silence too, actually.
1: Okay, yeah, that I can understand
0: for the same reason. I you know I think the clearer the head, the the more sort of purposeful you can be with your activity, and sometimes a clear head's the last thing you want, right? If you're tired.
1: So, have you ever heard of uh, coughativity.com? No. Okay, so coffee. <laughs> I feel like you
0: just made that up, though. I gotta no,
1: yeah. No if you just go there and give it a hundred dollars <laughs> no yeah so coffee is a really interesting site that i've used uh, a ton which died it it's says and it says it's based on a peer-reviewed study from university of chicago that a moderate level of ambient noise is uh, conducive to creative cognition and so like they're basically saying like we're gonna ship this coffee house to you just, like, enough noise and, like, enough, like, background chatter that, like, won't distract you, like, uh, lyrics would, will actually make you work better. I
0: buy that. I mean, it's sort of wh- white noise to some degree. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, I – my son has a white noise machine, and I sometimes, <laughs> when I can't get work done, like, when I just cannot get into a groove for the life of me, I will, like, bring it down to my office, plug it in, turn it on, mm-hmm. and just go. Um just yeah, because, I know, yeah I get that yeah i I demand it especially working from home you know and primarily by myself at home uh, I find that it's just super interesting but
0: well sometimes yeah. you can be your distraction I think that the point around white noise or like because I've used songs a version of this coffee sure. tea before they have like a coffee you know, a, a coffee shop playlist that, that plays, yeah. but sometimes, you know, uh, external noise like music or a podcast or a person or a baby or whatever is distracting. And sometimes your own thoughts are distracting Right. in, in like complete silence, right? Cause then you just like you and your thoughts. And if you're not in like the purest state of mind, that can be a negative. Whereas the coffee shop I think can help knock down the chatter inside your own head.
1: I completely agree. I think that in my perfect work at home scenario, my office would be a bathroom <laughs> with a shower that has a closed <laughs> water system on it and so I can run a ceiling fan and the shower forever and work. Yeah. That's the, I feel like that's the secret to life. At least coding. It's the perfect amount of distraction. Yeah.
0: <laughs> You know, yeah. I'm, I I'm so
1: crazy s- for saying that, but I have no choice. <laughs> That's I'm just the reality.
0: I'm sort of forever in search of the perfect environment. You know, I, I think I struggle more like in some ways I'm not that fidgety. Right. So I can like basically work wherever I can take my laptop and work at a coffee yeah. shop the whole day. Yeah. Pretty okay. But I find that like getting from 80% to a hundred percent is tricky where Like, the sitting versus standing I find to be challenging. The complete silence versus active noise, like music versus some sort of, like, background white noise. Um, How much do you chat with other people? How much do you not chat with other people, whether it's virtual or, you know, real life chat? Um, I don't know. I I feel like I've not not found the perfect balance there.
1: Yeah, I think... See, I think it's interesting that you say getting from 80 to 100, because I think the secret like my goal maybe not the secret but my goal is to get from zero to 80 as quickly as possible yeah and like so I can turn it on and off so that way like you know if I need to go do something during the day I can go come back and like make it happen again you know I mean everyone talks about flow or whatever but uh, I I find that to be the, the biggest uh, not challenge but you know my focus because to me I have the laptop I have the big screen I have the window like I have all these things that I could go with or without that's not that big of a deal to me. You know, I travel a fair amount for work and so I have to code wherever, but it's so it's to me, it's more that, okay, I'm at a booth all day talking to GitHub customers and then I want to sneak away and do an hour worth of work. Like how do I make that the most productive hour? And so for me, it's just getting, getting to that, you know, cruise altitude, not the best work I've ever done in my life, but not, you know, poking around, stuttering, being confused either. Uh, So my, it's just headphones and, and throwing either in like, the white noise track from the sleep help your baby sleep iPhone app, <laughs> right. or you know something like that is usually my like first uh, go to.
0: So I've got my number one most important contributor to being able to go from zero to eighty quickly, and it's not like number two it is an order of magnitude less important than number one. I'm interested in what I'm interested in, uh, in yours to see if it's the same. Uh, so I'll see mine my my absolute most important factor is do I have small chunks of work that have been previously queued? Mm-hmm. If the answer is yes to that I can basically go from zero to eighty at any point if i if I have energy any energy I can work if i ha if I have to start my work by creating work by saying okay like what are all the things that could happen now uh, you know I, I need to list them all out and categorize them and write the description and do the prioritization. It's really hard because that work only happens for me at an effective level sometimes. Whereas I could like pick, pick from the list of previously queued work and do the thing that I have both enough time and energy for at any point in time. Mm -hmm. Um, So nothing else matters to me as much as that. And because of that, you'd think that I'd be outstanding at queuing and categorizing work, which I'm not. Uh, which <laughs> maybe reveals some sort of fundamental flaw <laughs> in my execution. Like, I'm okay at it. I'm not awful. I'm not good. Um, but nothing matters more for me to, to be able to, like, click in and do some, some work. Hmm. What's yours?
1: Um, so for me, it's kind of two things, like one of two things. Uh, it's basically either, A, before I do absolutely anything else, I have to code something. Um, like without doing email, without doing anything else, I have to sit down and start coding like right away and usually do like 30 minutes of coding and then I'm like at 80% for hours and it's awesome. Um, the other thing for me is less about ensuring I am doing the most important thing first in the morning. It's usually, I have like a big piece of graph paper, um, or like a big pad of, graph paper and I'll just get a sharpie out and only ever write three things down for the day. Um, and those things are never like finish X, Y, Z, or like, you know, ship huge feature. Um, (laughs) they're usually like super specific, you know, like write a test that proves this. And then what I do instead of worrying about priority, which might be bad, but maybe not, <laughs> is I just do whichever one is most interesting to me or, like, I'm most excited about. And I usually – though each one of those things should only probably be about two hours long at the maximum. So the worst-case scenario is you're doing the third most important thing for two hours, you know, and then you're back into, like, sort of a swing of things. Because I feel like the most important thing you can do is just eliminate willpower <laughs> oh, I, at all. I totally agree. No,
0: I think we're saying the same thing. So I don't yeah. stress about am I doing the absolute most important thing. Sure. I stress about do I have a menu to pick from yeah. of, of things to do. And sure. then, like, I th- th- I think this is an interesting topic unto itself, but I've become more com- comfortable as I've gotten older with the for me, what is the reality of I don't have the same amount of energy always, yeah, so like i I don't have it in me to like climb Mount Everest every minute of every day, <laughs> some days I feel up to it, and some days I don't, in some hours I feel up to it, and some I don't, so having like a good mix of things to work on that fit into the time and energy that I have is what I look for, and then I just pick the one that fits and like. If I found over the course of a week that I didn't have the energy that I needed to do some very important things, then I'd start to like evaluate that and say like, do I need to, am I working too much? Am I not exercising enough? Am I, what, you know, what's going on that's causing me to not be able to climb Mount Everest this week. But if I don't have that list of like things to pluck from, then I can find, uh, because I think that, that generating that list to some degree is Mount Everest. So, uh, if I'm going to you know, sit down or stand up and work for two hours, I want to have things to pick from that. That's the most important thing for me. We sort of like uh summarized David Allen's getting things done, I think which basically says all the, the things we just said.
1: Yeah. They all say the same thing. I know.
0: Yeah. And every other <laughs> life yeah, hackery it's, thing.
1: It's either you're broken. Don't worry. So is everyone else. It follow these tools <laughs> or shut up. Everyone's broken. Just show up and do work. Like that is the summation of every self-help book that I've ever read. And I've read a lot of self-help books <laughs> or like, you know, life hacker books. And so for me, I feel like the most important thing I can do right now is be like you're, if you're not that person that can, Sit down and be like, Oh, I've been in flow since 10 a.m. and it's, I can't believe it's 9 p.m. right now. I've written so much code. Like, (laughs) look at me. Yeah, congratulations to you. Like, whatever. (laughs) You know, I feel like it's the reality of the matter is, you know, it's not, there's a ton of people like me who have had wonderful careers thus far (laughs) and are not pumping out code at 1am because I looked up from the computer and forgot to eat. And you know, here I am.
0: (laughs) Well, I had, so I used to have a, um, a, uh, corporate job where I was like a, one of the top executives at a a very big company. And I had of the many perks that came with that kind of job. One of them was like a, like a coach, I guess you'd call her. Mm -hmm. Um, Sort of like a cross between a management consultant and a psychologist. I think, you know, that's basically what she was. And she's very effective and quite the luxury to have uh, someone like that to work with every week or two or whatever the schedule was. But one, she said something very important to me that relates to what you just said. Which is that, uh, so we were talking about what I was stressed about at the time. And like most times during that point in my life, I was stressed about producing more. And I was wicked productive at the time. I think I still am pretty productive. Um, but, you know, could work. I worked a lot of hours and I, and I was effective in those hours, give or take. And yet I had never had more stress ever about being productive than I did then when I was quite productive. And she said something like, um, so you recognize, right, that this is like that, that you are the problem here. Like <laughs> that, that you are, you know, in the top 0.1% of productive people. Uh, in terms of how much you do and you feel awful because you see what hasn't been done. And when are you going to recognize that the only solution is to just accept you can't do everything? like, there is no such person as the person that can do it all. And in fact, those people tend to feel the worst, right? They feel the most awful about what can't be done because they sort of are in touch with doing a lot. And, uh, I think she's totally right. And like I said, oh, right. Like this is just a self sort of loathing cycle. That, uh, is super harmful and has nothing to do with how productive you are. It has everything to do with how much you accept your sort of, you know, human condition.
1: Yeah. So
0: there we go. We, we have now contributed to the canon of identical self-help.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's really the only reason I joined the podcast. <laughs>
0: right. Right. Is to, is to repeat self-help <laughs> advice.
1: <laughs> I don't even know if it's advice. Like for me, it's more just, uh, Acknowledgement that, you know, (laughs) there are people out here who don't have it figured out either. (laughs) Right. You know, you just go to conferences and it's all these talks about, you know, how I, how I solve this problem in my life, you know, or whatever. And and sometimes I just would love to do a talk that's just like, I haven't figured it out. Like that, that would be, that'll be the name of it.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, the definition, well, I think my favorite definition of maturity is acceptance. Yeah, exactly. It's just accepting everything, like accepting yourself, accepting the world, accepting your you know kids, your family, the everything. Yeah. Anyways. All right. Let's do, uh, Oh, look, look at us in the segues. Let's do our second sponsor, which is a very, very apropos, uh, lynda.com, the online learning platform with over 3000 on demand video courses. Now, how many do you think are self-help All right, I'm going to give you some homework, uh, Kyle, while I'm reading this, which is uh, look up on lynda.com how many ads, or how many ads, exactly, (laughs) how many courses or videos or whatever unit you want to use are about self-help, I'll keep reading, to help you strengthen your business technology and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, uh, visit lynda.com, that's L-Y-N-D-A.com slash Ruby on Rails. Let me tell you a bit about some of the courses that relate to programming, if that's what you'd like to use lynda.com for. They have RSpec Testing Framework with Ruby, another course called Code Clinic Ruby, Ruby Essential Training and Localization for Developers. They've also got courses on just about everything else. Just this week, I actually, I uh, I have not taken this course yet, but I'm interested in using Lynda. To learn about um, wireframing, I used uh, the Sketch app this week to do some wireframing, and uh, actually had quite a good go of it. It was it was a very interesting experience, and much more positive than I expected it to be. Um, so anyways, th- th- that's the sort of thing that Linda is great for. Uh, a topic that maybe you know a little bit about, that you want to dive deeper into, or maybe you're an intermediate, but, or intermediate, but have stalled and want to uh, push yourself to the next level. Check out uh, lynda.com. You can watch and learn from top experts who are passionate about teaching, stream thousands of video courses on demand, learn at your own pace, browse the transcripts to follow along, or you can skip right to the point that you'd like to, in the course, uh, download the tutorials to watch them on the go on your iOS or Android, Android device, or you can save uh, playlists to watch later. Uh, anyways, lynda.com, great tool, uh, whether you're an expert in some topics or really just getting in to them right now. Go to lynda.com slash ruby on rails and get your free 10-day trial. All right, report back, sir. How many self-help courses did you find?
1: So it's hard to describe a self-help course when you're in this system, but uh, there are a bunch of great courses in the business section about, like, self-confidence, communication tips, um, business etiquette, developing resourcefulness. I mean, so, like, there's a whole kind of subcategory about this. I mean, none of them are, like... How to help yourself?
0: <laughs> those, I think that those are all self-help topics.
1: I would agree. Developing executive presence.
0: Oh God! Dude, that has to have the worst clip art on the on the. I don't cover. know.
1: I mean these 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 people uh, look very present. <laughs> um, and honestly, there are some of these that I definitely like. Will watch now. Because <laughs> to be clear, I'm not knocking self help. I just think that at the end of the day, like. It's the it's the fact you're looking at it, which is probably a good sign, but I don't know, maybe not. Yeah, it's <laughs> maybe like it's like
0: just. weight it's like weight loss, I think. Like Yeah.
1: It's a circuitous and I'm looking for Atkins Plus.
0: There you go. Eat less, move more. And you know. What whatever makes that palatable. Pardon the pun. Go for it. My presence would help, I bet. <laughs> Executive presence. God. You know, the irony is that executive presence actually matters. Like, I really believe well, that that's thing. a like, thing that, that matters.
1: Yeah. That's why I'm not mocking that <laughs> video because I bet executive presence is what makes you a CEO, you know, and not just a VP of something. You know? Oh, fact. Yeah. So.
0: now w- whether one can find X factor slash charisma in an online course, I think is a question, but, uh, you, you can find out for uh, 10 days.
1: Yeah, there you go.
0: Okay. Uh, who should pick now we went so what are our, our topics so far we talked about uh the github summit we talked about the github outage we talked about silence and self-help <laughs> <laughs> now you can pick pick again i sort of picked the first two
1: so yeah so i'm interested in talking about um rails action cable oh yeah web sockets
0: okay so i had one reason that i put this on the list uh-oh which is, have you looked at this yet? Yes, I have. Okay. Did you notice anything about it that may be interesting?
1: Oh, man. See, now I'm not sure. <laughs> not, no, maybe? No? I mean, I've read the readme.
0: <laughs> okay. Oh, uh,
1: wow, now I feel like you have something. Uh, okay, real, so- The cl- alpha disclaimer, maybe? <laughs> no? So
0: click in. Yeah. Uh, now let's uh, let's take a look at the, a few of the tests. Okay. Here, I'm going to open it up, too, so I can look at the same thing. Oh, nice. Okay. So, there we go. We got lib, and we got test. Huh. <laughs> Turns out.
1: I mean, to be honest, this looks great. They're going to run very quickly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> ooh, ooh. <laughs> I like. I like the Kyle. You, you busted out the burn first.
1: I mean, I don't know. I don't want to hate cuz I don't, you know, but No, I think
0: fine. that was perfect. That what you just said was the perfect amount of burn.
1: <laughs> apply apply aloe vera after. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh Sean is describing that there are both few tests and many commented out tests. Uh It's basically untested.
0: Now, I mean, yeah. com- it's pretty close to untested.
1: I mean, okay, so 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 I will say what like it's has it even had a release yet though? It's, it's dot, it's dot one. No, no, I don't. So this is the first, no, everywhere. I mean,
0: it has an alpha disclaimer and I am also like, I might, my goal is not to spread hate either. So I'm not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, Hey, this is open source software and all that contribute, uh, should be, uh, appreciated. And I certainly feel that way. Cause I, both use lots of open source and contribute to lots of open source, so, you know, far be it for me to ever say something negative. However, I was just shocked that like it's so counter to the culture. It's almost deliberate to me. Like the culture is so has moved so far beyond this. I mean, I, I think the likelihood that you could see that you'd find an open source project, even that's released alpha that had like a articulated readme that didn't have a pretty okay test suite right now in the Ruby community it just would never get
1: used ever yeah I mean I will say that the the readme's uh, clarity and uh, holisticness uh, do not uh, match the number of commits that have tests uh, in them Yeah, like I mean that readme like I don't know I'm really surprised that the alpha uh, disclaimer is like it's alpha disclaimer, license, and support. So it's like in the order that you would like want someone to care about this. Like, eh, we're kind of alpha. Eh, it's MIT. Please don't ever look at the support link. <laughs> you know. <laughs>
0: but I mean, look uh, at how many commits there are in this.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a young project.
0: Two hundred ninety-four.
1: Yeah, it's not. It's now, not... I mean, commits
0: is a weird unit. We should put that as a topic for someday.
1: Yeah, we could can, we can talk about the uh, uh, contribution graph about that, actually.
0: Yeah, because it's. But it's, yeah,
1: I mean, I don't know. I feel, To me, so I'm just going to go out on a limb. And uh, to me, this whole project really feels like a proof of concept anyway. Like it's like saying, hey, you should be able to do web hooks. Or I'm sorry, not web hooks. Um, you should be able to do web sockets like this in Rails. And it's not like. You should do it right now, yeah I <laughs> think know? that
0: that's I think that that's right
1: i I think your point though about like you know the the larger rails and Ruby community you know it's it is it is odd to ship a project that is in the rails org and looks mature um you know with like basically no testing and like a disclaimer at the bottom of the page like I feel like that's not awesome but at the same time I mean, I feel like based on how the documentation's written and the functionality that this thing even provides, it's very much like, you know, it, it's a big example,
0: you know? You know, okay. So I find, uh, while you were talking, I think I figured out what bugged me about this. Cause I, I'm very low stress about all this sort of stuff. Like I don't, this sort of thing does not bug me. Um, the reason it bugged me is that I've, I think it was evidence of how little... Collaboration there was on this project. Hmm. Because if there had been collaboration, I, there absolutely would have been decent tests. Right? Because that's like one of the main vectors through which we collaborate. And there's been like some amount of snark, which I don't participate at all about collaboration on this project. But I got it. Like I had that visceral reaction when I saw that there were no tests that other people had that are closer to the core team that were like, what the hell? Why wasn't I? Wait, like, why aren't I involved in this? Because I could help. Um, And it kind of bummed me out. Like, I I think that's what bums me out. That there are many people that would love... Well, a lot of people listening to this show would love to help on this project, right? Because, like, having a Rails-centric way to do push updating down to the client is a topic that there are tens of thousands of people that are interested in. And, you know, I, I feel like... I feel like there's probably a missed opportunity to not have it be more of a community, even if it was expanded by, you know, five, ten people, community-led sort of spike. feels Something feels off about that
1: to me. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, yeah.
0: And, like, like, so anyone that is listening that that, like, if you were one of the few people that were involved in committing to this, you know, no offense meant, just maybe maybe it's something to think about that it'd be nice if other people were involved.
1: Yeah, I mean, I will, you know, it's some degree of defense about how open source isn't free. You know, I mean, it's, I can't imagine being on the Rails core team working on this project and probably do two other freaking projects in just the amount of time it takes to herd all the contributions. You know what I mean? Open source, the whole point is that there's a community behind the projects and anyone can contribute and use it and all that. But, I mean, it's, you know, I've never had a project that has reached any level of critical mass that I would be, you know, I I, I would be in charge of saying yes or no to this, you know, this this change or this idea or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, there is a lot of just mental, and cognitive load that goes with that. And so... Um,
0: yeah, I agree, you know, I mean, but I don't think that, I think that this. I mean, there's some alleviate. There, there are avenues one can drive down to find some relief on that. And
1: uh, boom, I found the problem. <laughs> you know who owns the copyright to this project?
0: <laughs>
1: Basecamp does. Well,
0: okay, so here we go. Exa- ex- I, exactly, exactly my up, point that I was going to make.
1: Pulled up uh, Q Rush's, uh, pull request. Um, Nick and his last name uh, escapes me. Um, it's
0: Quaranto.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, And, you know, DHH says that the the framework was a collaboration between LIFO and himself on company time with some additional help. And so he thought it was most fitting to leave it that way. And so, I mean, that would explain the lack of collaboration for sure, which just makes it odd to me that it's under the Rails organization. I feel like it should be under the Basecamp organization.
0: Yeah, I hear you. Because you kind of can't have it both ways. You can't say that Rails is is not associated primarily with a company, which is something that I think a lot of us care quite a bit about, right? That it's independent. It's not like a owned by Microsoft or Google. Yeah,
1: and it's super interesting, actually, because, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: This is one, so my bias when I hear people in the community complaining about things like the way they complained about action cable is to sort of feel like, Hey, slow your roll. You know, this too will pass. It's not as bad as you think. Everyone's trying to do a good job. Like that's my default on everything. Yeah. And it was my default on this one. And I, kind of still feel that way, but I, hmm, there's a lot. If you look into this one to fan the flame, I think like I get, I get why there's a little bit of, of discomfort with such an important feature in the way that it was announced in the way that it's been collaborated on or not and the way that it's been tested and the way that it has been copyrighted and it yeah, you know it doesn't feel good it doesn't feel good
1: yeah yeah i think that's all fair criticism
0: no could be fixed too so there we go yeah. that's my hope so uh lifo DHH, if you're listening uh i think it'd be great to open or widen the tent and ask people in and uh Start anew with Action Cable in the community. Here we are.
1: Yeah, I've only I think I've only ever used uh WebSockets in a production setting via uh pusher, the the yeah. service.
0: Pusher's sort of magic.
1: Yeah. And I kinda would just like to keep it that way. <laughs> I mean it depends, like if you're using I guess if you're using WebSockets for something that you need to have, like uh it's just a co- it's the a theater. cost issue.
0: I think it's a cost issue. Honestly, I think if money was no object, a service like Pusher would be just perfectly yeah. fine. But I mean, hey, we obviously care about open source, and that is not postable yourself, and yeah. uh, doesn't feel quite right. I mean, this is a problem Rails should solve. Sure, it's definitely like inside the inside the scope of what yeah what Rails's charter should include. I think at least. Yeah. Whereas, like I would think, a uh, front-end framework's not actually inside that scope. Um, this is clearly a server deal. Yeah. So, there we go. You know what? Good. I'm. I feel like. I feel like we covered that the right way. It was no, we were not too negative. We were a little bit negative. <laughs> or I was a little bit negative.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would like to clarify that. I was not negative.
0: <laughs> you were a little bit negative.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, the re- it's just, there it is, you know. there. I think that's the beauty of open source, though, mm-hmm. you know. Like, I, I don't, I do not, I don't get strung up in the drama of lots of these projects and decisions that come out, you know. It's yeah, like, right. I I can just leave.
0: Yeah. And me you know, neither, So I don't. I don't have any stress about it. I think. I think yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. you're exactly right. That I think it speaks for itself. If you just I think, think
1: that's like the best part about it is that you know, if you're stuck on like a closed language or you know a closed ecosystem, then you can't. You know, you can't just be like, I'm going to go do this myself, or I'm going to go do this other thing, or support this other project. I mean, you can always write your own thing by your by your lonesome. But I think the cool thing is is that you know. You can still pretty easily, you know, talk with your feet. And if this is a problem worth solving, then you know maybe there's another library that I don't know about, or another, you know, another group of people who will collaborate and come up with something better. Um, I just find it to be so much more rewarding to just stay smiley face. Otherwise, you get PR three oh, yeah. five thousand comments about how Action Cable is, you know, the worst. Yeah, I
0: I totally agree. I I find talking about it more instructive in, it's easy to look at a project like this or like how how it was announced and and kind of the current state of it and see inside of it sort of choices that maybe you wouldn't have wanted to make if you were running it, that you do make in things you run.
1: Yeah.
0: And then you say, hmm, you know, it's harder to sort of admit that fault on my own things, especially if, especially particular projects or, or pursuits that you're connected to. But then like with a little perspective and you look at this and you say like, what's the fear, you know, why not have more contributors? And maybe the fear is real. Maybe it's not like what, why not more tests? Is there a reason? I mean, they're, you know, clearly everyone involved can program well, or were they just spiking it for some other reason? Did they, you know, did they have tests and take them out? Did the, because the API felt like it was too, Emotion or like, there's many things to learn by looking at yeah. something that are, it's harder to, to learn those things when you're looking at yourself.
1: Yeah.
0: And end of topic, end of topic. Uh, okay. And I think that that's about as negative as we should ever be on anything on the show. Cause that was not that negative and neither of us like to be negative. So there we go. There's our, there's our bar.
1: Yeah. so submit your projects to Sean and Kyle. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. Exactly.
1: <laughs>
0: All right. So I'm looking at our our checklist. Let's see what we got through. One, two. Uh oh! I'm gonna plug this quick. Uh, not time to talk about it now. But I went up to Boston Ember uh, this week on Thursday. I was invited there by uh, Chris Ball, who's a great guy that was on this show before. Uh, to give one of the two talks at uh, their uh, occasional meetup, it's quite a well-run event. There were I don't know sixty or so people, and it was nice. Anyways, I talked about JSON API one point um, I actually put a, a decent amount of time into getting ready for that. It turns out it's easier to accept the invitation to speak than to actually go speak. Uh, <laughs> news, news flash! So I uh, I wrote an example app. I I. Uh, put that out on uh github and heroku and uh the videos or this the talk is recorded and i was i was pretty pleased with how it came out so if you're interested in knowing more about json api i actually think the talk ends up being a pretty good intro
1: yeah it was great i mean i wasn't there but i watched the oh you did video i did i mean your slide skills need a little bit of work but the content was on point
0: (laughs) shut it (laughs) You know, here's my, here's my deal on the slides. Either you actually, and this actually, I think is probably a philosophy for many things in my life. Either I'm going to actually try to make them visually interesting, or I'm going to default Google slides template with nothing changed.
1: So I can't remember which coworker told me about this app, but it's changed my presentation life ever heard of Deckset? no So Deckset you is backed by a uh, it's a it's a presentation tool backed by a uh, markdown file and so you write your you write your slides in markdown and like just real sensical you know like you know one pound the title you know whatever just really logical and then it applies style behind it and so like What you get are these, like, really beautiful-looking slides that can look a a variety of different ways, depending on sort of what you're talking about. Um, But it's... uh, But all you're doing is you're just working in a text file. You know, so you're not not doing any extra work.
0: So you're telling me that they're more visually interesting than the Google Slides default.
1: I mean, I'm not going to lie. Your uh, (laughs) black-on-white, you know, sans-serif presentation was really intriguing, you know, visually.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But... (laughs) If you wanna just, you know, you know, add a little bit of uh, special sauce, you could get Dexet. Okay. There well it might be a Mac only app, but it's pretty great.
0: So I, I, I will take a look at that. I actually thought about this while I was so I I budgeted like my afternoon of the talk to put together the talk. So I blocked it out the night before like what I was going to talk about and I'm I'm very like ways deep in the topic, so that helps. And I said, Okay, I'm gonna take from like eleven AM or maybe twelve PM till six to, to do everything for this talk, right? Write the slides, build the app, put it on Heroku and GitHub, et cetera. Whenever I can fit into that time is what I'm doing. Um, and, uh, so I thought about like, okay, should I research ways to make this look nicer or write an example Ember app, which I actually didn't do. Uh, <laughs> but I, I did do the rails one or write a few jokes. Those are my choices. And like, I don't know if you approach it that way, like write a few jokes, but, uh, I do like, I go back through and say, okay, I'm going to like, I'm going to, I'm going to write three funny jokes and get these in here. And, uh, so I picked the, I picked the jokes as my like (laughs) flair. That was my flair for the project.
1: Gotcha. Uh, I mean, they were, uh, uh, charisma can go a long way. (laughs) Yeah, I, uh, no, I I tease you, I tease you about the, the slides, but I mean, I've been to a bunch of talks that even like, you know, local language based talks that have a beautiful slides and just no content, you know?
0: And I kind of like, I, you know, we've both watched a million of these talks and there's kind of a, there's kind of a shtick that's very common in the community that uh, is not me. Like I am not the 50 gifts and memes guy. Like yeah. I, like I just couldn't pull it off. Like my beard's too gray. I'm not that guy, <laughs> but like I, and like
1: uh, I have family photos.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, what, what do I have to offer? <laughs> I am like, I'm not tall. So if it involves height, I, you know, I can't, I can't contribute that, but right. I've got like nice, I've got like a crew of a family with nice pictures they're you know, they're all good looking. So I did that. I can write a few jokes You know? Yeah. There we go. Stick to what you're good at. Exactly. I thought that the, uh, I thought that the iPhone joke was particularly good. If I'm critiquing my own joke skills.
1: Don't start explaining it. You're going to ruin it. No, I'm not going to.
0: That's (laughs) all I'm saying. All right. So we covered that. Uh, anyways, I enjoyed giving it. I really appreciated the, uh, invitation and, uh, you know, true story, that's the the first time I've ever given a technical presentation. I've given a million presentations that aren't technical, but first time i would ever gone to a programming meeting. Oh, awesome. Yeah, there we go. Well, not my first time at a programming meeting, but first time where I give the talk. Anything else, sir? Uh,
1: no, I think that uh, just about wraps it up for now, at least.
0: Did you do anything open source this week? We're supposed to add that I- in every week.
1: Yeah, I know. And this is, I'm already uh, off the boat. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but I promise. I promise for next week I will have something.
0: No, nah, there's no, you're, you know, hey, this is, this is you, Kyle. I know. You're just, I'm just the
1: caricature of a good developer. <laughs>
0: uh, I did not do it. I mean, i I sort of considered my, json api overview a pretty big open source con- contribution given that there's a lot of interest in and actually not as many people know as much as you'd imagine they know about it so i'd put that as my top contribution of the week and then i i added a nice but relatively small pr to json api resources for exception class whitelisting which uh whatever was uh, is a good feature if you need it but you probably never run across it otherwise
1: it still
0: counts. Yeah. So I was a, a very quick story before we call it a, call it an episode. Uh, I was, uh, so a friend, uh, in West Hartford here had a baby 10 days ago, nine days ago, like recently around a week ago. And, uh, so we sent, uh, I've sent a note like every other day since then to see if that was the day to come bring them like a dinner, right? Like dinner and yep. a meal for a couple other days um not knowing which was going to be the right day but knowing that one of them would be the right day. So today I you know sent my text of uh, that I've been sending and he said, you know, we always feel guilty accepting but the last couple of days have been pretty hard and we'd actually really appreciate it. So I was like, "Oh, cool." So uh Teresa made dinner and and we uh shopped for some other stuff for them and we brought it over. We we're talking about the past week and I mentioned that I went up to Boston to give this talk and they said uh um, and neither of them are programmers, and uh, they said, "Oh, what was the what was your talk about?" And I realized that there is no way to explain JSON API <laughs> at a small dinner party and not sound like the most boring human on the planet.
1: <laughs>
0: um, like I was like, "Oh, it's the anti bike shedding weapon for uh, APIs and JSON."
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's going to start with, "Well, what's a bike shed?"
0: Is that even a thing? It's actually like a, that's a... Yeah, exactly.
1: Do programmers not put their bikes in sheds to store them? Or <laughs> they...
0: Uh-huh. So I, I didn't even Did try. Did you have
1: anything good? Because I would have just come up with something totally <laughs> inaccurate but awesome sounding.
0: I, I didn't really. I mean, I, there was a lot. So I took uh, uh, Kayla, who's the, our 18-year-old. Kayla and her two friends with me that day. So there were some funny things to talk about about going with... You know, two nineteen-year-olds and an eighteen-year-old to Boston for the day. So I I, I just retreated to that because they're and to
1: your you know dad's uh, nerd talk.
0: Right, right, right. That's like dependable. I can always you know you can always find something to- funny to talk about about the to the, the teenagers in Boston. But I I had nothing about JSON API, and I brought the uh, I brought the beer. They, they gave me two uh, like large, I'm not sure what size these would be, but like bigger than a pint bottles of locally brewed beer as like a thank you present. So I brought one of them and we enjoyed the beer, but no, I was, I was not able to make JSON API, JSON API interesting to my non-technical friends.
1: <laughs> uh, All
0: right, sir. Anything, uh, anything else for the week?
1: Nope. See you, uh, next week. Be a little more tan, a little bit more GitHub. Uh, more tan. Yeah. yeah, San Diego.
0: Do you spend any time outside?
1: Um, apparently, there will be a day full of activities. Oh. I don't know if I'll have enough time to that sounds
0: so nice. go to Home Depot. So like, like uh, out on the boat, that kind of thing?
1: Uh, I don't know. They, we honestly don't get told a ton of specifics, and it's kind of nice that way, to be honest.
0: I took uh, So Teresa and I went on a uh, sailboat ride in San Diego about four years ago, and it was on one of the boats that won the America's Cup. Um, which now is like retired, like an old racehorse and they take tourists out on day trips. And so, I mean, these are like wicked expensive boats and it was very fun. One of the most fun days we've had. And on the way back from this day trip, the boat ran aground in the Harbor because it got too close to like the, I don't remember what branch of the military, but there's like a military installation with the, the, (laughs) like the, the. Um, military seals, <laughs> which is a whole other story. And
1: it also got blown up.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it was technically on this military base's property because it got too oh. close. Yeah. Oh, boy, it was a whole thing. Like I think it jacked up the boat significantly. And I don't. I mean, uh, do you ever have one of those moments where you know you're having a good time, or you've been like kind of partying all day, and and then all of a sudden things get snapped back to serious real quick? Yeah. Well, that happened because this. Uh, Uh, guard from this military base comes out and he's like, you know, what's going on with the boat? But everyone's, you know, had been drinking and whatever, and it thinks it's (laughs) hilarious. Well, he did not think it was hilarious. Like, at
1: all. (laughs) And that's how you ended up on the no-fly list.
0: Well, so what happened was uh, another boat, which unaffiliated with this America's Cup boat, because I think it was just some like random independent boat that charters itself out. Another boat came and, like, uh tied up to this America's Cup boat and uh, uh we jumped on to the other boat to get back to the dock and as of the next morning the boat had not been successfully <laughs> rescued
1: it's government property now <laughs> yeah so there we
0: go i hope you have fun on the america's cup boat next week
1: yeah if i don't come back you'll know where i am
0: <laughs> with the with the navy seals like literally the seals yes all right that's it good episode thank you see ya